Welcome, ladies and gents. You know what time it is. Time for a new episode of the Passive Income Attorney Podcast. If you're ready to get started on your passive investing journey, pause this right now and go to escapethebillable.com to download our Billables to Abundance Bible, a field guide to getting started with passive investing. Okay. The stock market roller coaster is in full swing. The line is long and it is wide open. How can you get off this ride and still invest in a stable future for you and your family? There are a number of ways, but it all starts with education. And congratulations, you're already taking that first step by listening to this podcast. Learning and networking will give you the confidence that you need to step off the Wall Street roller coaster and stroll over to Main Street where the grass is green and the girls are pretty. Listen and talk to people like our guest of honor, Mo Bina. He's an expert in analyzing financial markets and commercial real estate and is also a good friend of mine. Mo is a respected author and the managing principal and founder of High Rise Capital, a boutique commercial real estate investment company. He's an experienced invest investor in alternative assets, private money lending, and in various real estate sectors such as residential, multifamily, senior living, office, and industrial real estate. All right, without further ado, on with the show. This is the Passive Income Attorney Podcast, where you'll discover the secrets and strategies of the ultra-wealthy on how they build streams of passive income to give them the freedom we all want. Attorney Seth Bradley will help you end the cycle of trading your time for money so you can make money while you sleep. Start living the good life on your own terms. Now, here's your host, Seth Bradley. Mo, what's going on, brother? Welcome to the show. Seth, I'm doing well. How are you doing? Uh, doing great, man. Doing great. Really excited to have you on today. Mo's my really good friend, so it's awesome to have a recorded conversation about about passive income and real estate and all things that uh, related to that. So it, it's really, I'm really excited to have you on today, man. Oh, I'm excited to be on as well too, Seth. Thank you for having me on. It's, uh, uh, I know we, we have a lot of conversations and, uh, and now we're actually for the first time going to record it. So we'll, we'll see how it goes. Yep. Let's do it, man. Well, let's just start out. What's your story? Tell us, uh, tell us what's your story. Feel free to brag a bit, little bit, start wherever you want. Uh, well, you know, I've, I've been passive investing for some time now, and I, I've passive invested in, in a number of opportunities across different asset classes, uh, primarily in commercial real estate. Um, although I, I've done some, you know, outside of commercial real estate as well too. And you know, as I've been doing that, I mean, you know, it, it's—I hate to say—it's been a journey, but in, in a way, it, it kind of has been because you know, you, you start out a little bit kind of like unsure, you know, like. You don't know too many other people doing this and investing in commercial real estate or especially syndicated commercial real estate. And uh, you kind of like at times like, am I doing the right thing? I don't know too many other people doing. Everyone else is investing in the stock market. You know, uh, why am I doing that? You know, and it kind of, uh, you know, when, when you kind of buck the trend and, you know, you kind of gravitate away from the rest of the herd, you know, you kind of uh, may second guess your, yourself. And in the beginning, I, I certainly did. But, you know, uh, I look back on it now and I feel so... Um, so relieved that, you know, there's this whole world out there of alternative assets and alternative investments that so many, uh, so many people don't know about. And obviously, you know, shows like yours, you know, are out there trying to bring attention to it. 
Yeah, for sure, man. So how did you kind of discover alternative assets? I mean, where did you, you know, find out about those things that most people just know to invest in their 401k and stocks and bonds and mutual funds and whatever their financial advisor says to do, they do it. I mean, what kind of brought you to that place? Yeah, you know, it kind of started, you know, when I when I finished grad school and, you know, um, I, I graduated way back in the day, you know, when I was... <laughs> When I was in grad school at Stanford, you know, that was in the, uh, the heyday of the, of the dot-com boom. And I remember like everybody at school thought that they were going to leave campus and they were going to go start uh, an internet company and they were going to make millions and then they would retire by the time they were uh, 23 and a half. And uh, so, you know, and this was back in 98, 99. And, uh, you know, I kind of went through that because once I finished school and, you know, I had a job, I made a little bit of money and I invested and, in you know tech stocks and of course it wasn't even a year later when the whole thing just kind of crashed and it was funny because at that time you know i would go read the wall street journal i thought i was you know a real academic type and i knew what i was doing and you know i remember reading about the new economy and i remember reading about how well you can't use traditional methods of valuation to value these internet startups and these internet companies because it's the new economy and you know and of course that all crashed and burned and, you know, we learn, we look back on it now and we're like, well, no, there's, there's basic ways of valuing uh, businesses and valuing assets. And those things never change. If you don't make money, you don't make money. There's no other way of explaining it. Um, all the people who are buying Tesla stock these days, you know, maybe have, <laughs> they may disagree with that. <laughs> That's the one that I was thinking of. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but anyway, that was, you know, that was about 20 years ago or so. And, and so I, that always that kind of planted the seed with me, but it wasn't until some number of years after that, um, whereby you know the next time around with a global financial crisis happened in 2008 and 2009, where I really like you know woke up, and when I saw back then, and for for the listeners that were that were around then and were uh, at least paying attention to what was going on, um, may remember Hank Paulson. You know, and Hank Paulson, you know, who was the head of the Treasury, if I remember right, um, he had come out and he went in front of Congress and had said that we need $700 billion to save Wall Street and uh, or else the, the whole system was going to collapse. And I remember wondering to myself, like, well, what kind of system needs to be rescued? Because and how is $700 billion going to solve it? Because if the system is broken, then why don't we fix the system? But, you know, maybe that's just me and like I always want to and tinkers with things and always question but um that was pretty much the end of it at that point i realized you know what I'm, I'm just tired of this whole like you know investing in wall street and giving them my money and seeing the volatility you know um and, and all the things that come with that you know being disconnected from what your investments are doing um ha not having a say in how some uh, c-level executive or some hedge fund manager it, what they're doing with your money. And so I just, just everything kind of culminated for me. And so that was what, like 10, 12 years ago. And then from then on, it's just, I, I've, I've really always just kind of looked at alternative investments and it's just really kind of been something that um, I, I enjoy more. It, it requires a little bit more homework, you know, but it's uh, uh, for me, it's a lot more fulfilling and it's a lot more empowering as well too, to know that I control my investments to a certain extent, you know, but a lot more and and being a lot more connected to them as well too, uh, especially on the real estate side. Yeah, yeah. I think you named a couple of the really big things there. And one is the volatility. I mean, 
it's hard to imagine like right now because everything is just bullish, right? Everything's going up. You hear about Tesla, you hear about all these different stocks that are just like through the roof, but it's not that long ago when it wasn't like that. And it's not always going to be like that. It's always going to be up and down, up and down compared to something like real estate or alternative assets where it's just a lot more consistent. And the other thing that I heard was, you know, control. And we don't always have control in commercial real estate when we're investing passively, so to speak. But we do have control of where, where we place that money. And we have control over speaking to the people that we want to invest with and have a pretty good idea of what we're investing in when we bet the properties and the deal. So there's a lot more control over what we're, what we're investing in. Exactly. Yeah. You, you said it uh, uh, spot on. That's what I mean by control. It's a uh... It's not that we're making day-to-day -day decisions about anything. And ultimately, I don't want to make day-to-day -day decisions because I have enough day-to-day -day decisions that I have to make. Um, and I'm sure a lot of other people do too. But it's the, it's the control in the sense that I can control if there's a particular geographic market I like, if there's a particular asset type that I like, if there's a particular, let's say, deal sponsor or management team that I like, um, you know, if there's a particular type of investment strategy that I like. And I can combine all of these factors and find deals that fit, you know, the criteria. And that's the control that I have, you know? Yeah, for sure. And so let's go into some of those passive investments that you started out with. You have one of the most diverse passive investment portfolios that I know. So maybe walk us through some of those. Yeah. So I've invested in uh, uh, multifamily. I've invested in, uh, uh, in senior housing as well. I've invested in office. I kind of wish I didn't do that one. Uh, I've also invested in uh, uh, industrial. Uh, I've done value add. I've also done, you know, ground up development. So I've done, I've done a mixture of all these things. I've done different, different geographic markets. And so, uh, you know, what we just kind of mentioned, you know, just a couple minutes ago, I mean, you know, you can build essentially your own portfolio, if you want to call it, you know, where you're taking different investment strategies and you're overlaying them with ge different geographic markets and you know different uh, sponsors or different management teams and you essentially build your own own portfolio and the different pieces kind of come together because if you're using different investment strategies then more than likely you're taking different you're taking different risks as well too yeah i mean that's the beautiful part about it is you can diversify right i mean you just said it you 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 went over your portfolio i mean you went into industrial and office and multifamily and all these different things that you can invest in i think you've invested in even atms before i mean there's just so many things you can diversify into uh within you know those those passive syndications so it's pretty awesome you're able to do that and also across markets too yeah yeah definitely it's uh uh and it, it's People starting out may be, feel a little overwhelmed that they've ever done this type of passive investing before. And, um, and there's no reason I would say that they should be, you know, overwhelmed by it, you know, because if you take the time to really kind of understand what you're doing, and sometimes it may take a matter of weeks or it may take months, but you get to a point where you're like, okay, I, I feel comfortable now. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump in and I'm going to invest, you know, because I like this particular type of asset class, or let's say that I like this particular area whether it be one that's local to me, or maybe it's not, maybe it's a, an area or geographic market that, you know, is benefiting from the migration trends that we're seeing right now in our nation. And so maybe that somehow resonates with people. Um, and so you just have to find something that, that you like and that resonates with you and then, you know, just take action. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you've, you've got to educate yourself, right? I mean, you've got to get comfortable with, with reading doc, the documents, looking at different deals and kind of immersing yourself into it to a certain extent. But at some point you've got to pull the trigger and just do it. And I always talk about that, that first time you send out that 
$50,000 or $75,000 or $100,000 wire, it's a little bit nerve wracking, right? And that, <laughs> that first time you're like, did somebody just take my money? No, you invested it pretty wisely, hopefully. So pretty, pretty interesting yeah. hearing that from you. Um, maybe talk to us about uh, investing passively versus actively, because you're now on the active side. You do a lot of active investing um, on the general partnership side. So, you know, how did you make that transition? And, and you know, what would you say to uh, listeners who are thinking about either investing passively or actively? Actively, they don't know which way they want to go yet. Yeah, um, that's a good question. It's uh, they're they're two completely different beasts. And um, you know, I, I some people start off, you know, um, investing actively, and they never even have invested passively ever. And uh, there are, of course, people that who have actively or sorry, passively invested, and then they kind of transition to doing that. Uh, on an active level. And, you know, for me, it was, of course, starting out passively and then kind of transitioning. And a lot of that happened because of, uh, you know, just really getting immersed into it. And, you know, when I, when I first got into commercial real estate, and when I look back on it now, you know, there was a, there were a lot of things that I wish I knew then that, that I know now, but, you know, that, that kind of like growth, I guess, then that desire to want to continue on and to, become even more involved and to actually understand the other side of it and to be involved on the other side. And by the other side, I mean, on the active side mm -hmm. um, of how these deals are done and, and how they're put together. And also having that mindset of, you know, being a passive investor, looking at deals passively and understanding what passive investors want to see and what their concerns are. And also understanding risks as well, as well too, because that was something that I think probably the biggest thing in, you know, from beginning to where I am, when I first started to where I am now, I think the biggest thing is probably risks and understanding risks a lot better and being able to identify risks. And then at the same time, being able to take them and, and qualitatively like digest those risks and then thinking, okay, is this something that is that I'm comfortable with? And is this something that I want to move forward with, you know? Um, and that's something that I think is probably the hardest part maybe is for people first starting out is because everything looks risky when you don't, when you just don't have the knowledge. But I think once you start to get it, then the level of you feel more comfortable because you feel more certain about certain things. And of course, we're talking about investments. There's always going to be risk. You can't eliminate every risk, but it's all about a matter of identifying them and understanding if these risks that are there, you're comfortable with. Yeah. And I think that's a common misconception with, with real estate that it's inherently risky. I mean, any investment is risky. Real estate's risky. Stocks are risky. But I think the riskiest part is just having one stream of income. That's what I preach. It's if you only have one stream of income, that's the riskiest position you can be in. So you've got to create these alternative assets, asset streams for yourself. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that was a that was a major thing for me. Um, let's say in my journey, let's say was you know, reading uh, Cashflow Quadrant from Robert Kiyosaki, you know, and understanding that, you know, um, the whole paradigm of how people are told to invest is you put away a bunch of money in a 401k, you're going to go and primarily invest or entirely invest in uh, securities, you know, mutual funds, stocks, bonds, whatever, ETFs, because most employers that's or the custodians of the that most employers are using, they only allow these types of investments. And then you're going to build this huge nest egg of paper assets, which provide very little, if any, tax benefits. And then you're going to go to retire one day 
when you're, I don't know, 60, 65, maybe older. And then you're going to slowly start to liquidate all these assets. And who knows where, when you're taking into consideration volatility is going to be, how are you, are you going to feel comfortable even retiring? I mean, look at people that maybe wanted to retire, you know, when they're maybe in their earlier or mid sixties and they were ready to retire. What did they do? You know, when the last global financial crisis hit and the stock market tanked and I know you can kind of look at that situation and it's a little different than what's happened just recently last year, because it took several years for the stock market to recover to where the, the pre-crash levels were. Um, and of course, what happened last year is that it's more than recovered in less than a year. So I, again, you just never know, right? And that volatility aspect can, can affect you pretty, pretty dramatically. And then you go to liquidate and then now you're living off, you're, you're, you're liquidating on a monthly basis, these assets in order to pay your expenses and to cover your costs. Well, why not just try and acquire assets that generate income versus assets that you have to sell and liquidate? So it's a completely different line of thinking. And it was something that I never thought of until I read Cashflow Quadrant and read some of Robert Kiyosaki's works. And um, that was a, that was a real game changer for me when I when I stumbled upon that years ago. Yeah, it's just something we're just we're we're not taught that in school. And you should we should read Rich Dad Poor Dad when we're probably in middle school. You know, I mean, you should be exposed to those types of ideas when you're young, um, rather than like you and I. We read it way way too late, right? I mean, <laughs> we should have read it when we were ten years yeah. old. Um, but it it changes your mindset and it gets you out of that like okay, work nine to five till you're sixty five mindset because that's just an old school way of thinking. And when you really break it down, like you just did. It doesn't make any sense. It just makes zero sense. Yeah. And he, he says it all the time. He, he talks about how there's no financial education and he talks about how the system doesn't want you to have it. Um, and, and he's right, you know, because they want you to do what they want you to do. And yeah, there's, there's some people in the herd that kind of stray off, stray away, you know, from the rest of the herd, but maybe like you and I, and, uh, you know, we stumble upon, you know, the Holy grail, if you want to call it. And, you know, we end up doing something different. Um, but what's interesting is when you look at the alternative asset space, you know, it's continuing to grow. When you look at the amount of investable capital worldwide, um, it's increasing year by year. And a lot of it has to do with, you know, what's going on, you know, in the markets, for example, like the stock market is, is having difficulty or I should say it hasn't been having difficulty, but there's, there's no yield anywhere where it's very hard to find it. And so pension funds and, you know, sovereign wealth funds and financial institutions and so forth, they're, they're looking for yield somewhere uh, just because of where, uh, how low rates are because of monetary policy by uh, many of the central banks. And so more and more of them are turning to alternative assets to get the returns that they're looking for. And of course, they're trying to do that at the same time without having to take any excessive risk. Yeah, yeah. For sure, man. Let's uh, switch gears a little bit. Um, I, I've heard about this empowered investor methodology you put together. Um, I'd really like you to dive into that and talk about that and tell us what, what, what is that? Yeah, so it's, a, it's kind of a, a reflection of kind of, you know, the experiences that I went through and, and, you know, talking to people, you know, over the years when they would ask like, oh, well, what is, how are you investing in commercial real estate and, and what is a syndication and, you know, alternative assets. And, you know, and of course, you know, for some time now, the word alternative maybe kind of has a uh, uh, kind of, it's almost developing, you know, a negative perception or connotation to it where they think that it's some type of like something on the fringe, you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, and it's, and I would say that it's kind of complete opposite because like I just mentioned, you know, the, 
when you look at the the global investable capital, more and more of it is going in, into alternative assets. And, and and maybe one day me or someone else will come up with a better term or name for alternative. But at this point, it's basically anything that's non-stock market or, or paper related, you know. Right. Um, and, and I should be careful when I say paper because, you know, you can invest in notes, for example, like note investing. And that's that's paper, you know. Yeah. But by paper, I mean specifically like investing in stocks and bonds and ETFs. But the five-step method, uh, I call the empowered investor method. And and um, it basically speaks to uh, of this five-step process. And it's actually based on what I call the five E's. So the first E is ethos. The second E is um, educate. Uh, the third E uh, is evaluate. The fourth one is execute. And, the, and then the fifth step is empower. And so the, the five-step process you know, is kind of like a roadmap for someone who either has been investing or, or has no idea how to invest either in commercial or alternative assets. And it, it's all built on a foundation of the first D, which is ethos, which is your mindset and your thinking and your beliefs. And we've already kind of mentioned, you know, the beliefs and the thoughts that people have, or some of them at least, you know, when they think that they need to invest like everything, everyone else, investing in the same vehicles, investing in the same types of uh, retirement plans, investing in the same, you know, asset classes. And when you look at the alternative universe, it's so much bigger, you know, um, than investing in stocks and bonds. I mean, we're talking about investing in crypto. We're talking about investing in commercial real estate, investing in fine wine and collectibles, and you know, investing in in liquor stores if you want, investing in mobile home parks. So when you think about the when you think about alternative, it's actually so much bigger than in terms of variety and depth than the traditional world of investments that most people have been geared to uh, invest in. And so the five E's is basically a kind of a roadmap to get people from that first step of changing their mindset, changing their beliefs. And then it culminates into this like empowered step where they feel like they're in control uh, and they are. And also not just in control of the direction, but also more connected to their investments as well too. Because one of the, one of the themes of the, of the whole empowered investor methodology is the fact that I think more and more people um, they, they don't like the fact of how their money's being used. And, and I, I know I'm going on a little bit, but, you know, I'll tie this back in with what happened in the last global financial crisis, you know, with the Occupy movement. Do you remember there were all these people that, you know, they went and they were hitching up tents and, and parks and corners and all this other stuff. And, you know, it would, they were trying to buck the system. Well, and, and it was funny because even a lot of like professionals at the time that I knew um, were upset within a matter of weeks or months, they were putting their money back in 401ks and investing in Wall Street. And, and it was kind of like, well, I, I thought you disliked that whole system, right. but they were back, you know, partaking in that system. And I think something important that people should probably realize is that instead of trying to rework a broken system, just go make a new system. Mm -hmm. You know, we're not going to fix Wall Street. We're not going to fix, you know, this, um, the, the fact that, I mean, we can even talk about GameStop, right? I mean, that's a perfect example about how, you know, to a large extent, a lot of it is rigged against, you know, the average person. Right. And, uh, and how, in essence, you know, we're not nearly as powerful, even if we're acting in, in, in mass or in a large group compared to like the forces at play. And so why try and change it? You know, I, I think it should be changed, but I could just concentrate on something else on, on, a, 
other asset classes and invest in other ways. And part of the empowered step is being connected to your investments, investing in like commercial real estate, something that you can drive and go see. You can go and touch it. You can go see the lives that it's that it's affected, hopefully improved, I should say. And, you know, or it's provided some societal benefit. So that's what I mean by this connectedness and this empowered feeling that, that people then get because now their money is being used not just to build wealth, but also to improve communities and lives. Yeah, definitely, man. I, lo I love the ethos and educate portions of that because if you get your mindset and the education piece, pieces together, it just kind of it opens your mind up to to all those different things that you mentioned about you know investing in mobile home parks or apartment buildings or crypto or all these different things that are outside of the traditional assets that we all know about and 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 it just allows us to just start thinking on a different level about how we can diversify into different types of things and I, I love what you said about trying to you know why do we try to fix the system I mean you can see. Uh, from the last few months about trying to trying to you know take it over and, and try to try to re-rig the game in our favor and it just doesn't yeah. work you can't do it. It, it we've been doing it the wrong way for so long why fix it let's create create our own economy and invest yeah. in different types of things yeah totally I, I totally agree it's uh you know if if wall street didn't get you know the i don't even know how many hundreds of billions of dollars or more a year in money that people pour into the stock market and, you know, they pour into, you know, uh, mutual funds and fund managers collecting fees, regardless of how they perform. And, you know, if, if people withdrew from that system, and, and I'm not saying that that system shouldn't be there because really, you know, it's, it's, it's all about, you know, uh, companies that go from being private to then being public are raising capital because they want to take that capital. They want to do something with it. But in, in a lot of cases, you know, the system has gone to the point where it's like, you look at valuations of certain stocks and, you know, it almost kind of like reminds me of, you know, the, the dot com days again, you know, and I, I don't want to name any particular stocks, uh, but uh, I think people know who, <laughs> which ones they are, you know, and, you know, it's like, well, well, why do I want to become part of that? Because like you said, you can withdraw from that system and participate in other systems. And, and this is one of the things that I know that, um, for example, people that are heavily involved in crypto and blockchain because these are all decentralized systems, right? And these decentralized systems, you know, are outside of the traditional, let's say, banking or the traditional system of, with financial institutions. And so, uh, and that resonates with a lot of people, you know, it also allows people to invest in things that don't have, um, that can't be uh, expanded or inflated, let's say, you know, so if you have, let's say like a Bitcoin that can, at most will ever have 21 million coins, you know, um, in essence, it's it's very deflationary, right? It's there's always going to be scarcity there, just by virtue of the fact that there's a finite supply. Mm -hmm. And I was explaining to somebody just recently, like when you think about it, not even gold is finite. Well, I mean, I guess it is finite because it's only the gold that exists on our planet. But you know, if you're willing to spend more and more money in terms of um, extraction and production costs, you can always go and find more gold, at least as far as we know of at this point. Um, but something like Bitcoin, you know, which you know will never have any more than 21 million. If that's known, you know, then that can't be changed. And so you already know what that finite supply is. Who knows? I mean, maybe one day, you know, someone will be able to dig, you know, miles in the ground, which I know they do in parts of the world, like in South Africa, and they can extract gold, you know, where it's like 120 degrees or, or, or hotter, you know, because they're so <laughs> far deep down in, you know, uh, mines and so forth. But 
you, you know, can someone truly say how much gold is known in the world that hasn't been mined? I mean, right. Maybe someone tried to estimate it, but again, it comes back to Bitcoin where it's like a, a, a known supply. And uh, I know I've gone off on a tangent on the whole Bitcoin thing, but <laughs> again, it's, it's part of that whole universe and, and people look at that and they think, oh, well, it's uh, I remember a couple of years back, like people were saying, oh, this is a, this is the tulip mania again. And, oh, yeah, and I was yeah, like, but yep. yeah, okay. The price run up to $20,000 in late 2017 was, was, was abnormal. Let's say um, that was definitely a lot of speculation, but I told people that you got to really understand that there's, there's a bigger story behind all this. Don't let the speculation, you know, throw you off. And now you look at Bitcoin has more than doubled that, you know, in less than three years. Yeah, pretty insane. Pretty insane, man. So let's say we, we've graduated from the school of the empowered investor methodology. We're, we're looking at, let's bring it back into to kind of your traditional types of deals. When you're looking at a potential deal, you know, what are some of those things you look for? Because you've looked at a lot of different types of deals. So I guess we can kind of keep it general, but, you know, generally we look at the market, the deal and sponsors. So what are, what are some of the specific things within those three, three items that you look for? Yeah. You know, one of them obviously is going to definitely be, you know, when you're looking at the, the people involved, you know, and there's that element of, you know, the, the sponsor, the management team, you know, um, what experience they have, you know, what is their track record? And it doesn't always have to be in real estate. I mean, yeah, you want them to be real estate. You know, you want someone or one or more people on the team. Uh, but I think a good team also has a mix of people as well, too. And I think it's also good that, you know, that there are people who have been involved and they've been at least through someone on the team that's been through one market downturn. I think that's important. So, you know, they've been through a recession. Um, and so they know kind of what that, that pain feels like. And hopefully they also know what needs to be done when you do go through something like that. Because remember, we're talking about investing in assets um, that, you know, we're holding on to for years at a time. And so we're not, it's not like stock market investing, obviously, where you jump in and you can jump out, you know, literally like seconds or minutes later, if you, if you think like you made, you made a wrong mistake, you know, and, and I think a lot of uh, commercial real estate investors, they understand that. And so I think they always tread cautiously. Um, but definitely understanding who the management team is and understanding the particulars of the deal and understanding the market and, and why they're getting into it. You know, for me, a, a big thing is understanding, you know, the underlying fundamentals and the drivers. So, for example, whether it be in multifamily or let's say senior housing or industrial, you know, what are the drivers there? Because if you're investing with a long term trend and, and that is in your favor, then, you know, that's hopefully will bode well. Then it's a matter of making sure you've You've looked at the sponsor team, uh, the geographic market checks off, and the actual specifics of the property. You know uh, they look good as well too, and and as part of all this, you know it's identifying risks, and I think that's something that people don't do enough of. Uh, it's easy to kind of see the upside, but I don't think too many people understand or try and evaluate what all the downsides are, and I think that's a, that's a very big thing that I've learned myself is being able to look at a deal and seeing all the potential risks and figure out like which of the risks have been mitigated for um, and, and how they've been mitigated and in what way have they been mitigated and also understanding um, do all those risks taken collectively, do I feel comfortable with them? You know, um, no one's going to sit around and do a, a decision tree analysis and assign probabilities to all these various risks because that's impossible. You know, 
you know, that, that works in school and, and probably in academia where you can try and estimate risks and, and, and give a probability to it all and, and do a whole decision tree analysis uh, like I remember doing in college. But in the real world, it really is about qualitative, you know, no one really knows, but you, you have to identify the risks first and then kind of understand, you know, do, do they sit well with you? You know, do they align with what you're, what you're looking to accomplish and what your investment goals are? Yeah. Yeah. And we're talking about risk adjusted returns, right? I mean, if, if there's more risk, let's say if it's a development deal, then do those returns that they're, they're promising, do, do those meet that risk? Are they, are they worth taking that additional risk for those additional returns? And you've kind of got to just balance those things to figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's really, it's really just a qualitative analysis. You're like I said, you're not going to be able to assign numbers and, um, and no one should, I, and, I, and I should, I should make that clear. Um, I don't, and I don't know anybody who does. And, and if anybody it, did, it would be you, Mo. No, <laughs> and I don't even want to do that. It's, it's, it's really just a matter of uh, a lot of it comes down to experience, and I think a, a feel. Like, does it feel right based on what you know and what you've seen? And if it feels right, because all the things seem to line up, and it feels like you know. Um, the the team and the people involved in on the team have been able to mitigate for risks uh, or as many of them as possible and again like you said earlier like all investments carry risks you know there's no way around that all investments carry risk because risk just means there's uncertainty you know and some risks you know they're they can they actually turn out in your favor right you know we we think of risks as being negatives but they can actually be positives right so there may have been some type of risk and the risk may actually have turned out favorable in your, you know, um, in the, and when I say favorable, I mean in the favor of the investor and the, and the deal sponsor, right? Right. But we always tend to think of risk as something that's bad, but sometimes it works in our favor, you know, um, and that's important to understand that there's uh, threats and opportunities, I guess, you know, some risks, you know, uh, can be utilized in terms of in a good way, in a positive way. And then sometimes they work out negatively. And it's always the negative ones that people try and focus in on. And, it's important to also understand that you know maybe if you have a risk that could be that could turn out to be a positive, then maybe what you want to do is you want to try and you know figure out a way of making sure that that likelihood of that event is more than can more than likely happen versus mitigating for that, right? So when I say mitigate, I'm talking about mitigating for the negative outcomes, not the positive outcomes. Right. Yeah. We don't want we don't want to mitigate the the positive outcomes. <laughs> for sure. All right, man. Before we jump into the Freedom Four, what's one last golden nugget for our listeners? Golden nugget. Wow. Um, very general. <laughs> very general. With it. Uh, wow. Well, um, I, I think I would say to the listeners, if they're, if they have never invested in alternative assets, and especially in commercial real estate, I would say that I would highly recommend that they do. And uh, I'll give a few reasons for that. You know, right now, I think more so than at any other time in our history, I think that um, the middle class, especially um, professionals and people who have, you know, uh, careers and that have, you know, um, incomes and they're doing fairly well. I think that now versus, rather, versus any other time in our history, you know, the middle class is, I think, on the verge of really shrinking even more so. You know, there, it's, it's been diminishing over a number of decades now, largely because of globalization, right? And so now, you know, people in lower uh, skilled jobs were competing against people in other countries. 
And so that, that shrunk the middle class, especially manufacturing jobs to quite an extent. But you know, over the next five to 10 years, there's a lot of other things taking place, for example, like automation. Um, and that's gonna affect professional level of positions as well. And you know, there's also other things going on, like when you look at the monetary and fiscal policies, when you look at what central bankers are doing and how uh, they've telegraphed or they basically have stated, you know, uh, as recently as when I was reading the FOMC minutes from the from December of last year, you know, they basically said that they're going to continue, you know, flooding the system with liquidity and making, you know, borrowing rates as cheap as possible. And we know that one of the things that their policies have done is they've increased asset prices. So those people that own assets, okay, they've experienced, let's say some, some that wealth effect from that. So their wealth has increased, but there've been a large segment of the population where there's this growing wealth and uh, income uh, gaps that are taking place. And I think now even more so than ever, people in the middle class, which is gonna continue to shrink and get smaller, I believe, it's important that they make the right decisions with their investable capital. And so uh, I'm largely talking to professional level people because even some of their jobs too will be affected by automation and things like AI and uh, yep. other, other trends that are taking place. And even more reason, not just to make sure you're making right decisions, but to have other streams of income as a, as a safety blanket, right? As to make sure you have a little bit of a cushion. So if you know the next recession happens and you get laid off or maybe your job is affected by automation, people don't even understand that, for example, like, um, a lot of, a lot of articles now, and a lot of like things in, in newsprint is actually generated by AI. It's not a writer or an, or an author that's actually writing a lot of this stuff. Now it's actually all or, in, or mostly written by, you know, AI and algorithms. And so, you know, journalism, which was already like, you know, um, <laughs> without getting into fake news, but you know, journalism has been affected by AI and, and most people would have said, well, that's a professional level position, right? And so, you know, and so more and more jobs are gonna be affected. And I think it's even more important that people understand that uh, if they have investable capital, they need to make the right decisions. And, and I know I'm giving a long explanation on the, uh, uh, to the question, but I would also throw in as well too, uh, also look at what fiscal policies are taking place. And this is not a commentary to be political uh, in any way, but just look at the trillions of dollars that we now embark on in deficit spending annually. And that is a lot of money. That is a lot of money and someone has to pay for it. So it's either gonna be paid by way of inflation, you know, so the loss of your purchasing power, it's gonna be paid by way of the debt increasing. Um, and so either way, everyone gets affected. You know, inflation affects everyone. It affects people on the lower end of the scale, let's say, you know, disproportionately, but it affects everyone. So the loss of your purchasing power um, and, and hopefully if you own assets, then, you know, the, the appreciation you feel in your assets will be affected by, will be positively affected by that increasing of, of the wealth gap. But uh, I think the next five to 10 years are going to be very, very tumultuous. And it's important that people invest prudently and, and you know, kind of take that more empowered position with, with what they do. Yeah, you, you've got to take control of it and, and do your best to create your own economy, so to speak. I hear a lot of people yeah. talk about that, so that you just have more control and, and you're not just dependent on that one single income stream and you're not you know, worried about who's going to be the next president because it's not going to affect you as much because you're already taking control of your life and your finances. Exactly. Yeah. 
All right, man, let's jump into the Freedom Four. It's time for the Freedom Four. What's the okay. best thing you do to keep your mind and body healthy? Yeah, you know, eat right and exercise. So um, uh, it's important, you know, to oxygenate the blood, right? And, and it helps with the thinking and it helps with your health. And, uh, you know, uh, several times a week, it's important to like, you know, really exercise and to really like eat well too, you know? So one of the things that I've done, you know, over the last year or so is really cut down, you know, on sugar, for example. And, um, you know, I, I think taking taking control of your body and your health, I think is a very important thing. And I think it also kind of like brings that like empowered sense too, where it's like, you don't feel like you're lethargic. You don't feel like you're, you're constantly tired. Um, you know, nobody likes to have a few pounds, you know, on them. And when you take control of your health and your body, then it, it just kind of like, you feel like you want to take control of other things in your life too. You know, everything just like has like a cascading effect. Yeah, for sure. It's definitely like a holistic type of thing. I did the whole 30 last month and you cut out alcohol and sugar and, you know, dairy and pretty much oh, everything. Wow. So it, it's the first couple of weeks are rough. And then after that, though, you feel great. I mean, your mind is clear. You're sleeping better. You don't really miss those foods anymore. It's crazy how that that just kind of changes you. You just have to work your way through the hard part. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like, like intermittent fasting. Like I, I try not to eat late at night. Um, most days I will not have breakfast at all. So, you know, the first meal of the day isn't until well into the late morning hours, if not sometimes even like lunch is the first time I'll eat, you know, other than maybe some, some water or some other like, or tea or something in the morning. And, you know, that, that seems to help tremendously as well too. Um, and there's a lot of health benefits to intermittent fasting. And, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's something that, that I've done. And I've read so many good things about it. It gives your digestive system, you know, kind of a break. You know, the very active eating actually creates free radicals in your body, which, you know, ages you and has other health effects as well. So, and that's, even if you eat well, it just, the, the very fact of your digestive system working creates free radicals. And so that was very eye-opening when I, when I first found that out. So uh, just something, maybe another tidbit, I guess, for people to kind of look into if they're not already, if they've never heard of intermittent fasting and the health benefits of it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I've heard a lot of good benefits from that. I do it naturally. I don't, I don't really eat breakfast. I just eat a lunch and then a dinner and then I go like 16 hours without eating again. So. Yeah. And that's actually supposed to be really good for your blood sugar as well too. Cause it kind of gives your blood sugar uh, is able to kind of stabilize for a longer period. You know um, I mean, I, and I even read there, our ancestors never ate three meals a day. So there's an evolutionary reason for it as well. Makes sense. Makes sense. In an alternative universe where you weren't involved in your current businesses, what would you be doing? Wow. Um, in an alternative universe, well, I'd probably be about six foot seven uh, and I'd probably be playing <laughs> in the NBA. <laughs> I would be averaging about 26 points a game, uh, 10 rebounds and maybe about seven rate assists. I love that, man. I think we have the same dream. I, I held on to that even through high school, even though I was 5'10", but <laughs> I love it. <laughs> where were you at five years ago and where do you see yourself five years from now? Wow. Five years ago, I, I felt like I was... Um, I felt like I was still trying to like kind of figure things out. Um, and I still am. And I think five years ago, it was, it was still trying to better understand, you know, alternative investments, trying to better understand kind of like, you know, where I fit into all that, you know, in terms of like my investment thesis and um, really trying to understand like, you know, the bigger picture and the trends 
And so I embarked on this, this kind of like book reading, you know, uh, I don't know if you want to call it journey, but you know, for, there was a few years there where like, I just read dozens and dozens of books about all different types of subjects. And I, and I took the time to really kind of like broaden my horizon, let's say, and I read books on all different types of topics from, from geopolitics to, to health, to how, um, our monetary system works, you know, and uh, it really kind of like gave me a, a, a bigger picture view. And it, may, it gave me an appreciation for how so many things are interrelated and interconnected. And back then, I didn't really quite see it or understand it. And I know there's a there's a simplicity to our, our human mind. And that kind of also falls in line with kind of like the first step of my method of the ethos is is also, and also actually say the first two steps, where it's about understanding that there are a lot of things that are interconnected and there are trends that take place and understanding you know, where those trends are going. And, and I'll give a good example, like in commercial real estate, understanding you know, what are the trends in multifamily? What are the trends in senior housing and some of these other asset classes? Because like we mentioned before, you're investing for the long term. And when you're investing for assets, you're gonna hold anywhere from five to seven or more years you want to know what those trends are and whether or not you're investing, you know, in line and, and parallel to what those trends are. And so I always like to look at, you know, the bigger picture. And then I kind of hone down on more of kind of a granular micro level. And um, five years ago, I didn't feel like I have it or I had it, I should say. And now I feel like I have a much better appreciation for it. And I'm always trying to learn more and always trying to piece together other things and see whether or not they, they're pieces that fit into the puzzle or maybe they don't. And then when you realize they don't, you just kind of discard it and then you just kind of move on. Um, and that's kind of like one of the reasons why I've written some of the eBooks that I have was to kind of pass along some of that, uh, that knowledge, you know, and sharing that with others. Five years from now. Five years from now. Thank you. Um, I forgot about that part. <laughs> well, you know, I, I don't want to sound cliche, but hopefully having made a difference, you know, you know helping people helped other investors kind of realize the benefits of alternative assets and alternative investing. Um, I would say that one of the things that I really dislike, if it hasn't already come out so far, is I really dislike, you know, uh, systems that take advantage of people. And largely, you know, uh, Wall Street has turned into one of those systems. And uh, so helping people realize you know, that they don't have to participate in that system or at the very least, maybe they can minimize their involvement. And so uh, it's almost like uh, hacking into the matrix, right? You do it on your terms, not when, not instead of always being plugged into it, maybe you want to invest in the stock market or have that to be a certain part of your portfolio. And that works very well. And I think you can be very successful, but I think also understanding and building a larger portfolio that includes at least some alternative investments, especially in commercial real estate, and combining that with stocks and other things, you know, I think is a, is a better way to go and helping people come to that realization. And if I can be a part of that movement, like you are, um, and helping people get there, then, you know, that's, that's what I love more than anything else. I love it, man. Love it. Last but not least, how has passive income made your life better? Cause that just that extra sense of having income that comes you know, from another source other than maybe what you do, or, or if you're maybe, you know, there are some passive investors out there that, that literally make, uh, make a living off of all their passive income. And so, but they have multiple streams of income. 
and it's it's not an easy thing to do by far. Uh, I will I will attest to that. Uh, I'm certainly not there, uh, but you know when you have multiple streams of income coming in from your various investments, you know you have a you have a sense of like oh okay well if if something were to affect your livelihood in some way if you have an illness or an injury, you know what we do you know. It, what most people end up doing is they have to liquidate assets, right? And but instead of liquidating, if you have passive income coming in, you know maybe it covers some or most of your expenses, and you're able to kind of weather the storm, let's say. And you know I think that type of like comfort, especially moving forward, like I said, over the next five to ten years, I think that's going to be even more important for people to have multiple income sources and to actually be able to rely on them, or hopefully they won't have to rely on them, but if they ever had to then, you know, just having that sense of security that, you know, I'm okay, I'll be okay. I can, I can weather the storm and, and I can get past it. Yeah. Love that answer, man. Love it. Uh, let's wrap it up, brother. Where can our listeners find out more about you, Mo? Yeah. Uh, my website is uh, high rise capital. It's H I G H with a, with a hyphen and uh, rise R I S C uh, capital.com. And uh, I have a free ebook. So if anyone's interested, you know, they can sign up for my monthly newsletter and my ebook. It's called More Doors, More Profits. And I've just re recently finished writing two more one on investing in senior housing and also one on uh, investing in industrial. So these are, these are three great asset classes that I like. And these aren't the only ones I, I, I'll, I should say um, that I like in commercial real estate, but these are definitely three that I've been focusing on. And uh, these are three that I, I, I'm basically trying to bring attention to, to other investors out there. That's awesome, man. I highly encourage everyone to look up those downloads and download those books. There's so much great content in there. I mean, he should be selling these books, not giving them away for free. So make sure you, you download a copy of those. Mo, thanks again for, for coming on today, man. Really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you, man. It was a, it was a pleasure being on. Thank you so much. And thank you for, for helping spread the word to all your listeners out there about the the tremendous opportunities that exist uh, in alternative assets. All right. Always a pleasure talking finance and investments with Mo. If you want to expand your knowledge about global financial trends, real estate, and just about anything else on this planet, talk to Mo. He has something intelligent to say about it. It'll also make you realize how much you don't know. Major key, rewind and go back through the empowered investor methodology, and it all starts with education and awareness. To learn more, I invite you all to join Epic, our Esquire Passive Investor Club, by going to PassiveIncomeAttorney.com and clicking Join the Club. Until next time, my friends, enjoy the journey. Thank you for listening to the Passive Income Attorney Podcast with Seth Bradley. Do you want more ideas on how to generate multiple streams of passive income? Then jump over to PassiveIncomeAttorney.com for show notes and resources. Then apply for the private Facebook community by searching for the Passive Income Attorney on Facebook. And we'll see you on the next episode.